Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the Big Old Show, episode 783 of I Doubt It Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined today, lovely, talented, and the scholarly, Brittany Page. So we don't always do this, but let's get into the internet controversy of the day over on Twitter, which stemmed from... Of the hour, maybe you mean. Sure. <laughs> well... Technically, this controversy started on the 7th, which was yesterday, but it has continued on to today. And there is a college student, Emma Camp. Uh, Is this that New York Times thing? Yes, a senior (laughs) at the University of Virginia. And she wrote a guest opinion essay entitled, I came to college eager to debate. I found self-censorship instead. Because that's what you go to college for. I mean, really, it is the language here that matters. She found self-censorship. Uh-huh. She's not being canceled or whatever the fuck nonsense. Uh-huh. She went hoping to debate and decided not to. <laughs> and yeah. she's whining to the New York Times. Well. Or to America through the New York Times. Yeah, yeah, sure. So she gives some examples of what this self-censorship is. And I want to note, in the New York Times URL, it says campus speech cancel culture. So these are the themes for this article. Yeah. Campus speech cancel culture. In the midst of numerous states actually forming legislation to ban certain subjects from being discussed in classrooms. And banning books outright. Yeah, limiting speech in schools. We have someone who is... Published in the New York Times talking about how they felt the need to censor themselves during certain conversations because of the discomfort that occurred in certain classrooms in college. That's really what we're talking about here. By the way, for those of you who don't know or haven't guessed already, conservative. She's a conservative. So in one example that she gives, she says that she was in a feminist theory class in her sophomore year, and she said that non-Indian women can criticize a historical practice of ritual suicide by Indian widows. She goes on to say, quote, the room felt tense. I saw people shift in their seats. Someone got angry, and then everyone seemed to get angry. After the professor tried to move the discussion along, I still felt uneasy. I became a little less likely to speak up again and a little less trusting of my own thoughts. I was shaken, but also determined to not silence myself. So where's the 
where where's the I mean, there's cancel culture here. She's canceling herself. Well, and again, she writes, this idea seems acceptable for academic discussion, but to many of my classmates, it was objectionable. Isn't that a debate? Yeah. I mean, you object to an idea. So she's she doesn't like that people disagree with her. Mm-hmm. So so she's self-canceling. Well, and then she she goes on to write, quote, being criticized even strongly during a difficult discussion does not trouble me. We need more classrooms full of energetic debate, not fewer. But when criticism transforms into a public shaming, it stifles learning. Does she define that or it just left hanging out there? Well, and that's the problem is no, there's there's many examples given, but there are not actual scenarios in which she describes a public shaming. Now, some people are saying on Twitter, some conservatives are saying, I saw Sam Harris like a tweet about this, that now that now she is being publicly shamed and (laughs) that this is an example (laughs) that this is an example of cancel culture coming to life. And again, wow, God damn being criticized does not mean you're being canceled. People discussing this fun of like you're being made fun of right now by me doesn't make you canceled. Yeah, I mean, listen, if you're going to publish an op-ed in the New York Times, there's going to be criticism. I mean, that's what happens with opinion essays. <laughs> you are giving your opinion. And and again, this is the debate that she's looking for, right? Right. People, people are going to say that you're wrong. People are going to say that you are blowing things out of proportion, and they're going to give their perspective on it. It's, it's akin to ding-dongs like Sam Harris who, or others, we'll just say others, even though I've already said Sam Harris. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. People who, again, we're just anybody, who are like, yeah, what about, it's my freedom of speech, freedom of speech. No one's taking away your freedom of speech. We're using our freedom of speech to push back against your speech. Mm-hmm. Isn't that what these, what, what, what they consider their, themselves to be free speech purists? Mm-hmm. Absolutists? Yeah. Isn't that what they want? Yeah. But then when they do get the pushback, when they do get the criticism, oh, this is a vile attack on me. Mm-hmm. Listen, being someone who does talk for a living and does get criticized, sometimes to the point of death threat, mm-hmm. I, I could have chose something else to do. I'm not, you don't hear me saying I'm canceled all the fucking time because people disagree. Well, in death threats, obviously, that's a whole. <laughs> no, but I'm saying that's the extent to which I get criticized. It's It goes beyond even that. Yeah, and death threats are kind of the ultimate cancel culture. I think that is the cancel culture. <laughs> that is cancel yeah, culture. Someone wanting you dead. Right. That's like official cancel culture. You are actually canceled. Yeah, well, if, if the death threat turns into more than a threat, sure. <laughs> so in this article. I laugh uncomfortably i know it was an uncomfortable because it's sad yeah and it's a very real threat yes so that's why if you're planning to come (laughs) there's cameras all throughout the house we have an extensive security system yeah Brittany dropped a glass in the kitchen the other day have we already talked about this no and it went crazy it was horrifying I didn't drop a glass, by the way. Something in the fridge fell out. Oh, it was a water bottle out of the fridge. And the security system... It didn't even break, though. The security system heard it, thought it kind of sounds like a broken glass, like somebody's breaking in, and it went nuts. Yeah. Yeah. So... So... So all you fucking 'er ne'er-do-wells out there, 
Think twice. Okay. So she references this. I just want to get this last point in. She references this guy that she met at a debate club. And in the article, she writes, quote, he told me that he often straight up lied about his beliefs to avoid conflict. Sometimes it's at a party. Sometimes it's at an acapella rehearsal. And sometimes it's in the classroom. When politics comes up, I just kind of go into survival mode, he said. I tense up a lot more because I've got to think very carefully about how I word things. It's very anxiety-inducing. Two, two things about what you just read. One is he's probably a psychopath anyway because he's going to acapella practice. Just want to get that out there. Two, um, what kind of things is he uncomfortable to say? Yeah, I I mean, that's the big question is what are you so concerned about revealing? We're not even allowed to use racial slurs anymore. I I gotta be so careful. I I know. I mean, listen, (laughs) if he's afraid to say certain things, we're going to get into the things that Bill Barr is saying in his interviews about race, which are. I mean, pretty directly just saying, like, the reason that there are more police in black communities is because they commit more crimes. Yes. And. Which is, listen, problematic enough for uh, a regular citizen, extremely problematic for someone who was the Attorney General of the United States, not not once, but twice. Yeah, so I'm thinking that this guy is, like, wanting to make certain arguments that the Attorney General is making on TV right now and acting like he can't because it causes conflict. Yeah, well, that's going to cause conflict, sir. The other nerds in my acapella group, they'll want to beat me up. But let's think about how (laughs) he's saying he has to think very carefully before he speaks and that it's anxiety-inducing. Like, welcome to existing with other people. Absolutely. You You have a a boss that maybe sometimes you want to say certain things to, and you don't because you want to keep your job, for example. Yeah, like, fuck off. (laughs) There's all kinds of (laughs) moments that people want to say things that maybe they shouldn't because they have to preserve relationships or be a professional person that keeps a job. So, yeah, welcome to just existing in society. Adulthood, my friend. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, uh, I would like to know what the audience thinks about this. I'm sure that people are champing at the bit to talk about it because it it did. I didn't know what you were going to go with for... The, the 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 controversy du jour or the topic du jour on Twitter, mm-hmm. but uh, it's for sure been been blowing up. Yeah, six five seven four six four seventy six zero nine. Of course, you can email voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore dot com. Here is a voicemail for your listening pleasure. Hey Brittany, hey Jesse, this is Andrew from New Orleans. Two things. Uh, I hope y'all just re- recognize or realize I was just busting your balls about uh, not, you know, not being able to meet you guys when y'all were in New Orleans. That's cool. I'm a musician. I'm on the road 200 nights a year, at least before COVID. And so I understand, you know, the the comments. And so I was just kind of just being a little, trying to be a little funny, you know, but uh, I wound up being awkward, like the best drop ever on the show. The Britney, I'm not prepared. Drop. I'm, not prepared. I'm telling you that is that is the bestest, uh, funniest drop on the show. So just saying that, love you guys. And Britney will always be the best part because of that drop. Later. Love the show. Britney's the best part. I'm not prepared. 
when he said awkward, I th- and then he said the best drop. Fucking awkward. <laughs> you thought it was Marcus. That's what I thought, but mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm wrong a lot, Brittany Page. Yeah, so Andrew, we don't really know what you mean here by the awkward thing that you're referencing that happened. We don't know. Well, normally I would think that it's just me because I'm I'm not immune from awkwardness. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes there was an awkward moment that you tell me about later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and typically, I'm like, typically one you cause. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I'm like, oh, that was awkward? <laughs> Fuck, I had no idea. Yeah. Usually that's how it goes down. But when both of us don't recognize it, I think that's it. it's in your head, Andrew. <laughs> I think that the not great. I think you're you're fabricating moments and and trying to to live high on the hog of awkward moments that you create and yeah, check yourself. Well, and if you are referring to our last time in New Orleans, that was a very quick trip. It was like very quick in on a Friday, out on a Sunday. Yeah, so we did not have a lot of downtime to be networking. What Brittany's saying is we didn't have time for you. Yeah. Andrew. Well, we were th- we were there with friends that traveled from a place that they they don't live where we lived at the time. So it was the purpose was not to be out and about seeing people yeah. and networking. It was to be spending time with these these friends. So am I sounding like a dick? I know. I'm trying to make me? you. I'm trying to make you sound like a dick. Okay. Andrew from New Orleans is somebody I would I would like to meet because you want to steal his voice. I want to just I want to I want to study the accent and be <laughs> able to recreate it in my own life. Yeah, and linguisticsness ish esque. Yeah, because it's it's just seriously. There's a lot of I, we talk a lot about accents. There are certain accents just drive me fucking nuts. Baltimore and Philly, not a fan. New Orleans, a whole different thing. Really, really dig it. Yeah. So so thank you, Andrew. Maybe next time we're in New Orleans, we will be able to see you. If if you have time with your insanely busy, busy schedule, Andrew. Yes, exactly. Right. We also have an email, a follow-up from that other guy who, of course, wrote in wanting advice about how to talk with his father, who is making the choice to end his life in, in the face of a illness. And that other guy writes, hi again, I would like to express my gratitude to you both and your listeners. Uncle Blasto, not only does he have the best online name ever, but I found his input insightful and familiar. Thanks for helping me to not feel isolated. And Dan, fellow Ontarian, holy shit, our stories are so similar. The workaholic father part especially nailed it. He was a business owner that for 60 years worked from 7.30 a.m. to 9 p.m. with meal breaks only. He never officially retired. Only declining health stopped him. That shit didn't rub off on me. After hearing your perspective, I think I know what to say. I'm not going to share that here. I think it should be between me and him. Brittany and Jesse, thank you so much for your compassion. After I wrote you with my story, I had second thoughts about whether it was appropriate and gave you an out to avoid airing this stuff, but you persevered. I'm grateful that you did. All I needed was a little push. The two of you are the best friends I never met. Thanks, that other guy. P.S. Spoil that puppy. Oh, yeah. The puppy that we haven't talked about in a numbered episode. We did it on the AMA. Mm-hmm. That Maybe we'll talk about that next time and post a pic of Sweet Pea. Mm-hmm. The bulldog we're getting mm-hmm. in the as the as the the album art or what cover fucking whatever. Yeah, you'd think I know about these things, what they're called, having been a podcaster for eight years. Yeah, by the way, in three days 
which reminds me to mention this, in three days, it will be eight years that we've been doing the show. That is wild. So wild. Anyway, uh, back to the the measure at hand. Uh, Dad, other guy, uh, thank you so much. Listen, we... One of the things that we've we've very much um, enjoy and appreciate about having been doing this for eight years is the community that is built up around the show, is the people like Andrew from New Orleans, we have a theme here, people who are regulars on the show. And we, we, we may not know you personally, but uh, rest assured, if you've called in more than once or twice, three times, we know your name, we know who you are, we, we likely have some connection with you, and we... We appreciate you very much, and moreover, it is heartwarming to to coin, or not to coin, but to say a, a, a coined goofy phrase, it absolutely is heartwarming to know that disparate elements and individuals within our audience all across the world in different countries than the United States can reach out and touch one another, can, can help one another, can comfort one another with their own life experiences, so we just... It's um, it is our pleasure, and we we appreciate every single one of you, every, everybody who 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 contributes in moments like this and has something to offer to to comfort someone else. It's, Absolutely, it's fantastic. Yeah. Before we move on, a word from this month's sponsor, Aura. Did you know that the average online consumer has ninety accounts? And with those 90 accounts, do you think that the average online consumer has ninety passwords? How many passwords do you have for your various internet accounts? The answer for most people is not enough. If someone were to get a hold of just one of your passwords, they would probably have access to multiple accounts. That is definitely the case with me. This lack of password diversity is just one way in which we are all vulnerable to unwanted account access. And where there is unwanted account access, identity theft is never far behind. If you think this cannot happen to you, consider that U.S. consumers lost $56 billion to identity theft in 2020 alone. Well, we here on the show have a solution, of course. We would like to introduce and thank Aura, a sponsor of the show. In one easy-to-use app, Aura will protect you with fraud monitoring, a VPN, identity theft protection with insurance, password management, and antivirus software. Head to Aura.com forward slash I doubt it or click the link in the show notes to sign up for your free, sign up for your free two-week trial and join the more than 1 million people already protecting their digital security with Aura. Aura will scour the web for use of your emails, passwords, and social security numbers. Their robust VPN will anonymously encrypt your personal information and browsing history. Aura will work to fight against malicious malware trying to infect your computer and spy on your activity. And with your accounts connected to Aura, you will be notified four times faster of security concerns than with any of Aura's competitors. When it comes to fraud, every single second matters. Start your free two-week trial. Start your free two-week trial now by clicking the link in the podcast notes or head to Aura.com forward slash I doubt it. Aura. Your online security depends on it. Thanks to Aura for sponsoring the show this month. We appreciate it very much. Moving on to a little bit of follow-up. You know, (laughs) I don't, this is becoming the theme, but we first started the show eight years ago. We had a segment called Florida Files. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
Yes. Because of the With kind the Rockford of, Files theme music. That's right. The common trope that all these wacky stories come out of out of Florida. Uh, and maybe we should re, re, re we should dust that that drop off because uh, a lot of Florida news lately. Yeah, Florida is now recommending against the COVID vaccine for children. The Florida Department of Health is going to uh, be the first state to officially recommend against the COVID-19 vaccines for healthy children. Florida's top doctor made this announcement Monday during a roundtable discussion with the governor and dozens of others. Dr. Ladapo also pointed to a recent study that found that the Pfizer vaccine was less effective at protecting kids from the Omicron variant. And at a press conference shortly after, the governor doubled down on that sentiment. There needs to be nuance because you have to understand COVID is dramatically more risky for someone that's 85 than it is for someone that's five. It's a call that contradicts guidance from the CDC. And when asked about it, Governor DeSantis criticized the health organization. CDC, with all due respect, you know, they have not followed the science throughout all this. They've done a lot of political science. But in the end, the governor said the decision to vaccinate kids would be left up to parents. The recommendation against vaccinating kids is leading to reaction nationally and locally. When asked about it, White House spokeswoman Jen Psaki said in part, quote, we know the science, we know the data and what works and what the most effective steps are in a range of ages from hospitalization and even death. Here in Tampa Bay, we spoke with USF professor of medicine, Dr. Michael Tang. He tells us that for most, the benefits of getting vaccinated currently outweigh the risks. Regardless, we do know that even with the immune evasiveness of Omicron, this vaccine was really still very effective at keeping people out of the hospital. And he added that Monday's recommendation would only serve to confuse people. Whether by intent or not, this is actually making it much more difficult for doctors to do their jobs and to to try to provide the best health recommendations for their patients. In Tampa, Rochelle Aline, ABC Action News. And it's important to note that the study that the Surgeon General was referring to also included statements from the researchers who claim that the vaccine's effectiveness was likely impacted by the dosage kids are getting. Right now, a child aged 5 to 11 is receiving a third of the dosage an adult would get with the Pfizer shot. And despite the results, the researchers who led that study still recommend the COVID-19 vaccine for children. The Florida chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics weighing in after Florida Surgeon General and his claim about the vaccines in children and released this statement. In part, it says, quote, the American Academy of Pediatrics continues to recommend the COVID-19 vaccine as the best way to protect every eligible child from COVID-19. Children can get sick from COVID and some get very sick. House Democrats in Tallahassee also releasing a statement of their own. They say, quote, Florida Surgeon General Joseph Ladapo has continued to undermine the severity of COVID-19, despite over 70,000 people in our state dying as a result of the virus. And we're also hearing from Congresswoman Kathy Castor. In a statement of her own, she says in part, quote, once more, Governor Ron DeSantis is pushing inaccurate and dangerous anti-vaccine policies that could put Florida children and families at risk. So I love this news package for that reason. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, and your grandma has something to say. Yeah. Go get the vaccine. <laughs> yeah, it was one statement after another from prominent organizations and relevant professionals yeah. that are challenging this because how absurd. Well, some relevant. They should, all the politicians, we don't need to hear from. Mm-hmm. 
We don't need to hear from Ron DeSantis. We don't need to hear from whoever that Congress lady was. We need to hear from what does the American Society of Pediatrics or whatever the name of that organization is. What do they say? You know? Yeah. So I guess the end of the clip was not good. No, no, no. no. We'll go. Not that it's not good. It's just journalism. Rely on the expert. Don't. We don't need to hear from politicians. I mean, Ron DeSantis's little little jab there about they're doing more more po- political science than actual science. Yuck, 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 yuck. From a guy who is now saying that recommending against the measles vaccine if you don't all kids who don't have measles. I mean, that's effectively mm-hmm. what they're saying. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. We don't need to give the polio vaccine to kids who don't have polio. They're healthy. They don't need it. It just, it goes against basic knowledge of what vaccines do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's also supporting anti-vax claims because when you make these claims that healthy kids don't need the vaccine, it's making it seem as though the vaccine is dangerous or something that is not advisable for healthy kids to get when that is just simply not the case. Yeah. So it's just another case, another example of Florida trying to drag us back with regressive policies that are driven only by politics, only by what is politically expedient for the mob, the unwashed, uneducated, low-information voter base, um, you know, like in their sister state, Texas. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's dangerous. It's not just bad politics or bad policy it is actually dangerous for kids and adults because if a kid gets it and brings it home to their grandma and they die, there's a real human impact here. Absolutely. So one additional piece of follow-up is the ratings bounce that President Biden got following his State of the Union address. As you've been seeing in the headlines for weeks, President Biden's poll numbers, his approval rating has been very low. But following his State of the Union address, it jumped up eight points. Wow. Which is significant. And according to NPR, it doesn't usually happen following a State of the Union address. In fact, since 1978, there has only been six times where a president saw an approval rating improve four points or more following a State of the Union address. And three of those, three of those six times was uh, President Bill Clinton. Well, of course, that's... The American people were bamboozled mm. by uh, Slick Willie. Smooth talkers. Yeah, Very nice. yeah, yeah. So his... Well, which, by the way, Biden is not a smooth talker. Yeah, so his approval of Ukraine handling is up 18 points to 52%. His coronavirus pandemic handling is now 55%, which is up eight points. And economic handling up eight points to 45%. So... People are improving their view of how President Biden is doing. Just makes me wonder what, like, what about that speech? And it wasn't terrible, but, you know, again, the theme of our, our, our breakdown episode was show me, don't tell me. What is it that, that moved people to change their opinions about Biden or think better about him because of that particular speech, that boring ass, no substance speech? Well, I think if you go and read comments from partisans, you'll you'll see the answer to that question, which is that most people don't need to see the actions. They hmm. just want to hear want to feel good. The nice words. Yeah, yeah. And so because he was very strong in his statements about Ukraine, people got a good feeling. 
because he was saying that we're coming out of the pandemic, we're going to take the masks off, we want everyone to go back to work, get in the offices, let's have people in our downtowns. People want to hear that. They're sick of the pandemic. They want to hear that the masks are coming off. So I I think it's about hearing the right things and then feeling positive. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think that's that's a spot-on analysis. It just... It doesn't jive with how I, how I operate. So I, I don't. It's beyond me. Mm-hmm. That's beyond me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm above that. Anyway, we'd love to know what you think. Six five seven four six four seventy six zero nine. Email those voicemails and those voice memos from your smartphone as I do a weird cadence to I doubt it at dollamore.com. I doubt it is a listener supported podcast. Support comes from our most loyal, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners just like you via Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as $2 a month would help keep the conversation moving forward one podcast at a time. If you have a few dollars to spare each month, we invite you to help produce the show by joining the Patreon family. Please visit patreon.com slash idoubtitpodcast. We would like to thank our new Patreon supporter, Lee C. Lee C. Thank you very much to Lee C. for becoming a new Patreon supporter. Lee C. utilizing the new feature on Patreon where you can become an annual Patreon member. And that means you just pay once for the entire year. And then you're a Patreon supporter for the entire year. And you can go there and do that now for 10% off. Yes, we're running a special on it. So very exciting. Running a special. And of course, we are still sending out the magnets for new Patreon supporters. So if you become a new Patreon supporter, you will be receiving the magnet with your stickers. We appreciate people that have been taking photos of the envelope when you get the goodies. We appreciate seeing where they end up. So please continue to do that. Thank you so much for your support. We would not be able to continue to do this for 25 years like we have been without your support. That's a lot of years. Can you tell we've been doing it for that long? Because it doesn't feel like we've been doing it for that long. Some days more than others, it does not feel. Some days, you know, it's not like riding a bike. Mm -hmm. Some days it's like two days later and it's like, I forgot what the fuck I'm doing. (laughs) So, not great. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we love you guys. We appreciate you very, very much. All of your support, all of your listenership, all of your loyalty. It is a beautiful thing that does not go unnoticed. Stalemocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So let's talk a little bit about Bill Barr, former Attorney General of these United States under Donald Trump and George H.W. Bush. Bill Barr wrote a book, of course, making the rounds, trying to sell his little book. Mm-hmm. Do not buy his book. Do not. And he's really, he's not doing it the normal way or the regular way or the way we've become accustomed, which is to go out and excoriate Donald Trump and try to rehabilitate your image. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not what he's doing. No, he's definitely not rehabilitating his image. He's reminding us all how terrible he is. Oh, yeah. But while at the same time sprinkling in a little criticism here and there. 
And the former attorney general joins us now. This is his first live interview since that resignation on the eve of the release of his new book, One Damn Thing After Another. Attorney General Barr, good morning. It's good to have you here. Good morning, Savannah. Well, uh, I'll start with this. We got a three-page single-space letter from <laughs> President Trump about your book. This was in response to questions that NBC posed. I can't read the whole thing, but it, it, it's mostly personal insults. He called you slow and lethargic. He said you were so lazy and cowardly. He just never quite understood what was going on. He didn't want to stand up to the radical left Democrats because he thought the repercussions to him personally in the form of impeachment would be too severe. In other words, Bill Barr was a coward. All right, here's the guy you came out of private life to help, someone you stuck your neck out for. Do you have any reaction to that? It's, it's par for the course. I mean, uh, the president is a man who, when he's told something he doesn't want to hear, he immediately throws a tantrum and attacks the person personally. So I, I thought the letter was was uh, uh, childish. You don't pull any punches in this book either. Your book really details the good, the bad, and the ugly of working for this president. And you conclude with um, a pretty damning indictment, so to speak. I'll read some of it. In the final months of his administration, Trump cared only about one thing, himself. Country and principle took second place. And you go on to say he has no concern with ideology or political principle. His motive is revenge, and it is entirely personal. Why was it important for you to tell that truth? Well, I, I was uh, pretty content with the administration up until the election. I general, I supported his policies. He was always hard to, to work with and, and resistant to advice, but you could usually keep things on track. But after the election, he went off the rails. He wouldn't listen to anybody except a little coterie of, of sycophants who were telling him what he wanted to hear. And I think he did a lot of damage after the election, both with this idea that the election was stolen and also by him sort of rallying this group to, on the Capitol Hill, where the clear purpose was to intimidate uh, the vice president and Congress. And before we go any Pretty remarkable. I mean, he's saying that Donald Trump did a lot of damage, that he rallied the insurrectionists to Capitol Hill. I mean, those are his words. Oh, no, he absolutely believes that Donald Trump orchestrated the mob on January 6th to overturn the election. Yeah. He does not agree that the election was stolen. Yeah. He characterizes Donald Trump following the election as being, quote, beyond restraint and that he only listened to people who told him what he wanted to hear. The the other thing that he says is that in the, which I don't understand because anybody who can see clearly in the final months, Donald Trump was bereft of, of, of principle or duty to country. It was all personal and all about him yeah. and what his grievances were. That's like the way it always was. That, that didn't just all of a sudden, wow, a switch really flipped for Donald Trump, who seemed to really love his country up until then. Yeah. What? What? Yeah, like it was a new development. It's just, it's, that's where things break down with Bill Barr trying to play that all things were really different before. No, they weren't. It's mm -hmm. a, Donald Trump is the exact same guy that he was when he ran for president, when he became president, and in the final waning days of his administration. Yes, and while Bill Barr can admit that Donald Trump has numerous flaws, seemingly fatal flaws that would make him not appropriate for being president of the United States, that would make him not fit for being president of the United States, Bill Barr would still vote for Donald Trump. Finally, God, you, you say in your book, it's time for the party to move on from Trump. Liz Cheney has said he is not fit to serve and should not 
be ever near the Oval Office again. Do you agree with that? Well, I certainly have made it clear I don't think he should be our nominee, and I'm going to, you know, support somebody else for the nomination. But if he is the nominee and you have your choice is Donald Trump or whoever's running on the Democratic side, would you vote for him? Uh, because I believe that the, the greatest threat to the country is the progressive agenda being pushed by the Democratic Party. It's inconceivable to me that I wouldn't vote for the Republican nominee. So even if he lied about the election and threatened democracy, as you write in your book, well, it's, well, it's <laughs> better hard, than a Democrat. It's hard to project what the facts are going to turn out to be three years hence. But as of now, it's hard for me to conceive that I wouldn't vote for the Republican nominee. All right. William what does that mean? What a traitor to the country. What does that even mean? Well, also, what progressive agenda that the Democratic Party's trying to push? The only de- the only progressive agenda that's being pushed is not going anywhere because Biden right. and Democratic leadership won't allow it to happen, like canceling student loan debt, like reallocating a police budgets into uh, other items the other areas, like psychological response teams for people in mental health crises, mm-hmm. those items they're not getting they're not getting pushed mm-hmm. to act like Joe Biden or Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer, the leaders of the party, to act like they're progressives is just fucking laughable and not honest. And he would rather vote for Donald Trump, the child separating, peaceful protesting gasser which Bill Barr took part in, then vote for a Democrat. It's just bananas, bizarro world. Well, and that's why we really want to emphasize this point of do not buy Bill Barr's book because I think it is easy for some hyper-partisans to see someone criticizing Donald Trump and admit that Donald Trump is a threat to democracy and say, huh, this guy's okay. He's on our team now. Right, and he... Like people did with Comey. He's not. He's not at all. Please ensure that you understand that and that you do not buy his book. If you heard him there saying that the progressive agenda is the greatest threat to the country, and he used the word inconceivable, it is inconceivable to him that he wouldn't vote for the Republican nominee, even if it is Donald Trump, who he admits is a threat to democracy, and yet that is not enough for Bill Barr. Right. He did a lot of damage and is a threat to democracy. But oh no, some people might get some quote unquote free stuff. I mean, what is he talking about? Yeah. So in another interview, because again, Bill Barr is making the rounds, he sat down with Lester Holt with NBC News and Lester Holt, to whom that letter that she referenced was actually addressed to. Yes. It was addressed to Mr. Holt and Donald (laughs) Trump scrawled out Mr. Holt and put Lester in handwriting. Yeah. So... Lester Holt asked Bill Barr about issues of race, particularly a line in his book where he says that Black Lives Matter is the big lie and asks him specifically about whether he views racism as a systemic problem. In society, do you believe there's such a thing as systemic racism? I actually think the whole idea is a cop-out. I think racism exists in people's individuals' souls. So this this made me cackle the first time that I heard it. Wow. Because where does he think people with their individual souls go to work? They don't work. They're, they're, they're home meditating all day and they have no interaction with society or the 
system yeah. at all, Brittany Page. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that institutions are made up of people and their individual souls. Their individual racist souls. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just intellectually dishonest. I mean, to put it mildly. Yeah. And this guy, again, was attorney general of the country twice. Mm-hmm. And he holds these pernicious and racist ideas. Yeah. Like yeah. when, and we don't have the clip, but he talks about that police are, well, you know, the reason there's more interactions with police and black people is because, well, that's where the crime is. He says that. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yeah. Gross. So we are not going to be buying the book. We hope that you do not buy the book. We hope that you understand that Bill Barr is not a friend to the progressive well, cause. He just shouldn't be rewarded for his fucking bad behavior. Exactly. So we will be avoiding that and encourage you to avoid it as well. All right. Moving on. It's the asshole of today. Michael Flynn. <laughs> Which can't be his first time. It uh, can't be his yeah, first time. I don't believe it. No. The not, disgraced, not in the number of years we've been doing this. Yeah. Show. The disgraced former national security advisor. Uh, of Donald Trump, who lied about having contact with the Russians, and then it came out, and they couldn't bear it anymore, and he had to go. You, this clip sent you over the edge when you listened to it. Yeah, well, it bothers me for a number of different reasons. One is, even when I was in the Marine Corps... You were a Marine? uh, Yep. Marine, (laughs) everybody. Um, Even when I was in the Marine Corps, it always bothered me when people... I took an oath to support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And then they'd have no fucking idea at all what is in the Constitution, what it's about, what it represents, what the what what the the elements of it are. They just have no fucking idea. Mm-hmm. It always bothered me. And then here we go with a former lieutenant general who clearly has no understanding of the Constitution when he says that the word creator as in God, appears in our Constitution four times. You read all these things, you study the history of this country, you study how it was founded. That's why, they, that's why the word creator is in the Constitution four times. Right? We, are, we are endowed by our creator. The Bill of Rights. When you look at the Bill of Rights, I want you, next time you look at the Bill of Rights, in fact, tonight when you go home, Look at the Bill of Rights and lay the Ten Commandments right down next to them. Okay? Put them right next to each other. And you'll get a sense of how they developed the Bill of Rights. That is some next-level duncery. Mm -hmm. The word God, the word creator, does not appear anywhere in the Constitution. Not once. The closest thing would be that Congress shall make no law uh, respective of uh, the establishment of religion. God doesn't even happen Mm -hmm. in the Constitution. He's referring to the Declaration of Independence, which is maybe one of our founding documents because it declares our independence from Britain, but it is not part of the rule of law. Mm -hmm. It does not protect your natural rights Mm -hmm. it declares independence that's all it does 
So do you think this was intentional on his part? Or do you think he just doesn't know what he's talking about? I don't know. I can't answer that question. I wish I could. It seems, I mean, it just seems to me that he's just lying. Because a lieutenant general who who traffics in this space, you think he would know the very basics about our civics. Mm-hmm. A man who multiple times rose his right hand and swore or affirmed to to protect that constitution against all enemies foreign and I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. And then this whole thing about putting the 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 the, the Ten Commandments next to the to Bill of Rights. I mean, the only thing that's similar to about them is that they both have ten items in them. <laughs> well, white Christian nationalism has to be uh, popular at the event that he was at, at a yes. Senate campaign event in Oklahoma. So maybe this is a winning argument for him to prop up a non-existent connection between the creator and the Ten Commandments and the founding documents of the country. He's yeah. just trying desperately to make a connection for the white Christian nationalists in the audience. Which, which is what is strange is when you, when you watch the video clip of this, no one even gets like a, huh? Like, there's not even, they're like, yep, yeah, he's right. No one even like, <laughs> like sniffs at it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's just fucking bizarre. Anyway, asshole of today. <laughs> Come on, people. Oh, boy. It, listen, if you're out there, I, I, I would. I, I would implore the audience. If you're out there and you're in a position to have risen, raised your right hand and, and swore or affirmed your oath, Take it seriously. Think about what it is that you're you're swearing allegiance to or an oath to to protect. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know very much about the Constitution, then how can you uphold the oath that you that you took? Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> and obviously, look, I'm not an expert on the Constitution, but I have a a, a fundamental understanding of it mm-hmm. enough to to feel good and decent about my protection and support and defense of it. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Maybe he needs a pocket constitution. Maybe someone needs oh, to get Oh, I'm sure them. he has a fucking pocket constitution. <laughs> Him and, and, and Bart O'Kavanaugh oh. both have their fucking pocket constitutions. Well, it's doing them a lot of good, so that's Go great. Trump, baby! Dumb shits. Anyway, we would love to know. What you think? 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We love you guys. We appreciate you guys. And we will see you next time. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been Sing Song, I Doubt.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.